Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 14 of Incremental's Podrick the Podcast. We are joined today by Paul Kowalski, Growth Marketing Lead at Self Financial Incorporated. Paul is a fellow measurement enthusiast who we love speaking with about the simple, but also the deep and philosophical side of marketing measurement topics. This episode starts with the moment of realization that digital attribution had several flaws and goes through the full lifespan of both the past and into the future of marketing measurement. Before you start enjoying the interview, please remember to subscribe to this channel. We have a weekly episode featuring digital marketing industry thought leaders and experts on our show. And now without further ado, enjoy listening to our interview with Paul. You might as well save your introduction for now. Hi, Paul. How are you? Good, Mayor. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm great. I'm great. Great seeing you. Hope you had a great long weekend, right? Martin Luther King weekend. Yes, for sure. Uh, still recovering a little bit, uh, but um, we're good. We're good. Yeah, what did you do? Yes, uh, I, I hiked to the tallest peak in Texas. It's called Guadalupe Peak. It's about seven and a half hours uh, west of Austin. So it was a eight and a half mile hike, 3,000 feet of vert, and my uh, legs and body are feeling it today. Oh my God, that's like- so impressive. <laughs> You need ropes and stuff, or it's a hike? No, no, a hike. Uh, towards the end of it, there was a little bit of a scramble. You don't need ropes, but you're a little bit more, you know, you're using your hands a little bit more. Sure. And it's like so windy at the top, too, like, uh, you know, 40 mile an hour winds. You don't want to stand up to, you're kind of like, mm. and it, just, it must be cold. It must be pretty cold as well, right? At the top. It there. was cold, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lots of water. Uh, yeah, so I was I was trying to be safe, but it was good. Now with Very rewarding. New, now with my new profound health, maybe next year I'll join you. Um, but I think for, for sure. me, usually climbing a mountain was Berlin. It's like, I don't know, 50 meters, like 150 feet. That's that's my style of a mountain. Let's start with a hill. And... <laughs> yeah, a little hill. <laughs> uh, <Right>. So, uh, <laughs> Paul, for the sake of the listeners, uh, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Um, yeah, my name is Paul Kowalski. I am the growth marketing lead at Self. Um, I've been working in marketing and high growth startups for the past seven years and have probably driven around $100 million in revenue through paid media by this point. Um, so lots of experience in media mix optimization. And I am also a client of Incremental um, and love the tool and what y'all are doing. It's great. I can feel the same because I was also a client. (laughs) Um, Do you think that we would be here today kind of talking about measurement orchestration uh, if it weren't for kind of uh, privacy related changes? Yeah, I think that we definitely would be just not to as great of an extent. I think the privacy changes are a great value prop for companies like incremental for other media mix modeling tools and predictive modeling tools. Um, so we would still be leveraging them. Um, but it might not be as in our face. I also think that privacy related changes were, um, it was obvious that this was going to happen at, at some point and it probably will continue to happen in different ways. You know, it's funny. It's like sometimes people, 
think that, I don't know, we got lucky in timing. And I, I remember showing people 2019, like articles on Apple saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. Uh, no one kept it secret. It was <laughs> like, I, I actually still don't understand why people were like surprised when something was announced. Maybe it was announced now on a big stage, but it was actually announced like way, way, way in the past already. Well, people are still surprised and they're, they keep being surprised. I think that even when Scan uh, was released and even like they knew about it for like a year and a half until it was uh, rolled out kind of completely and still people are realizing it, trying to work without it. I still think it's a, it's a problem. <laughs> Denial is pretty powerful. But what you're saying, Paul, from what I heard, um, for you, even if it wasn't for Apple's changes, privacy changes, you would still be considering other methods of measurement. And like previously, you know, everybody pretty much used last attribution. That's the like go-to for majority of digital marketers. Now, it seems like you had your wake-up moment earlier than other people. What was it for you or when and yeah, what? For sure. And I, I still do think that um, there are a lot of benefits to last, last touch attribution, as we've kind of talked about before. There's different levels of um, optimis granularity of optimizations where last touch still makes sense. Things like creative testing, things like that. Um, I think the the kind of like aha moment for, for me was probably around uh, three years ago um, in particular, we were testing a CPI network um, here itself, and we were driving ridiculously uh, cheap installs, like dollar fifty or dollar twenty-five cent um, cost per installs, um, and we weren't seeing the change in our top line metrics at all. And um, we we looked into this, and we also saw they were just serving a like ungodly amount of impressions. None of this made sense to us. And our strategy at the time was, well, let's just turn them off and and see what happens. And you know, a very simple kind of pre-post, like a turn-off test, turn them off, no changes in business metrics. And we were like, huh, like there's there's probably something here. Um, yeah. so I think that was the the beginning of it for for me. But then with iOS 14.5, um, that was obviously like more of a wow, okay, we really need to start looking at other solutions, but and do you think that today, like, is there something that is working for you? Or how would you kind of describe um, the ultimate measurement tool or platform? Because uh, I think we're we are on our way there, honestly. But how would you sure. describe something that would include everything? Because we don't know or the reality is changing and we have to kind of come up with additional ways of showing things. So what would be perfect for you? Yeah, um, I know that, that it is a lofty uh, question, very high level question. Um, I think in my perfect world of of Nirvana, where I could have everything that I want, right? Um, all of these, it would it would be integrated with every single advertising platform, and be able to integrate as much data from each platform as possible. Um, and I think that it would also be able to talk back to those platforms and give them data to inform optimiz optimizations. So for example, if incremental is measuring causal impact um, or the lift uh, impact of a spend change in Facebook, 
how can it send that data to Facebook to actually affect its bidding model, right? And um, part of, I think, the ultimate measurement platform will require advertising networks to be a little bit more open um, and, and give more access to, to data. I'm not sure if that will happen, but I think that's a, a big one. Um, another one I think that's really important is you know, we use different advertising channels to understand different uh, changes in seasonality and the macroeconomic environment. When things happen on paid search, it's a really good indication of us for different demand changes for, for different keyword or product categories. Things happen in Facebook where we see CPM differences and it's an indication of you know audience quality or audience costs. How to integrate all of those things in a holistic manner. And then also maybe put some sort of large language model, some sort of chat GPT like thing on top of it to just be able to analyze and spit all this stuff out. Um, I think there's a lot of automation that that you can do um, that actually removes the, the work of a marketer in, in many cases. Um, but I also think that's very exciting. And if you're not using chat GPT and trying to, you know, integrate LLMs and play with them, then you're going to be behind. So first of all, I think the ChatGPT removes the grunt work, okay? And in general, AI, in my opinion, removes a lot of the grunt work and the things that, like, you would still need a mindset, skill, experience, creativity to know what to ask, okay? And that's that, uh, you know, we can both own a piano doesn't mean we can both play it as nice. Yeah? Sure. Um, <laughs> also, how to and, interpret the result and how to work with the result. Yeah. To your to your point about like uh, I completely agree with you, but that like ultimately, uh, the ad platforms know how to take measurement insights from alternative measurements that is not last touch. Okay, now like um, when, when we started, I obviously I, like I spoke fairly quickly with some of the ad platforms. Some of them have a lot of resistance. Okay, because if you think about it. One of the uh, reasons why uh, the two biggest platforms in the world, uh, ad, basically Google and Facebook, are so big is because they get to dictate the rules. They get to say, this is how much we think we generated. Okay, Self-reporting, self-attributing. Now, in a world where they can't access uh, this data anymore, they are still claiming, hey, based on my models, this is how much I believe I generated for you. This is like AM uh, right now. Now, we found that, like, you know, initially we tried to, you know, speaking with them, like, on the nice term, hey, we have this product, it serves advertisers, it's good for everybody. They only started showing more interests when customers basically said, hey, I am cutting spend on your platform because I have this tool that showed me. Then they started becoming mega interested. And I think that over time, and, and again, I never really think that, like, an ad platform not generating incremental value is like doing it intentionally. Okay? There's fraud, that's a different story, but there's just like not generating value. I don't think they do it intentionally. And I think that if they could um, get to the point where they get this data point and they can use it to optimize, it would be to everybody's benefit, but it is a pain in the ass mm -hmm. for them. And so no one's rushing into this. Um. Let, uh, let me ask you, I know I'm the one being interviewed, but uh, so Meta, for example, um, I was chatting with our account manager about their product roadmap. And one of the things that they're going to be focusing on this year 
is allowing you to use data from conversion lift studies to optimize off of their um, lifted uh, conversions, right? But those are more based on like a uh, lift test within Facebook where they're doing a holdout and they're taking the pixel and they're looking at the difference, right? Um, do you think that is a step in the right direction? And do you think that's a little bit, um, I mean, how is that compared to if they were actually just ingesting, you know, an MMM or incrementals kind of? So it really depends model. on who you're speaking with, obviously, because there's a lot of, there's a measurement, uh, how is it called? Marketing measurement department, team, global, whatever. They really are into this thing. They want things to work. They don't necessarily care if it will show Facebook in a bad light, as long as long-term, it will allow Facebook to be in a great light, okay? But then there's the, I don't know, day-to-day -day sales rep who doesn't want you going and cutting ad spend. So it's going to be a process. It's going to be a long process. Uh, eventually, I think the market will stabilize. We are three to four years away, in my view. And that's short, by the way, like in grand scheme. For sure. Yeah. So if you have if you are kind of using different methodologies and you have basically you have mmm you have less touch attribution you have incrementality and each one is saying something different let's say that uh, attribution tells you you got 20k for this new channel uh, incremental says you got zero mmm says i need you to spend more data so i can even give you a recommendation what would you do then yeah i think um when these questions come up uh it's almost like a, a belief-based question. Like, like, what do you believe? What do you trust? Um, in a way for us marketers, when you're asking which methodology do you have more faith in, it's almost like a religious question, right? Like, who do you believe in? Um, I think that it's very dependent on the, the context of the, the circumstance, the, the size of the, the company and, and kind of where they're at for, younger uh, companies that are not spending as much that may have just started spending, I'll put a little bit more faith in deterministic data um, just because I know that uh, it's less likely that they have like penetrated this, this market before. Um, and I think even for us, you know, someone like, like self where we have a multi-channel media mix, we've been around for years, we spend uh, you know, eight figures a year on unpaid media, sometimes more, whatever. Uh, I think for folks like that, you do want to put a little bit more faith in the, the incrementality tool or a media mix model. Um, and it's also kind of, you know, what are you going to do with this data too? Um, I think I would prefer if we could have another spend change to compare it to. So as much as the comparison point of, last touch versus incremental versus MMM with a given thing is interesting. Comparing that to another thing and then trying to triangulate um, is sometimes how I look at it as well. Let's go for a little bit more of a complex or um, situation. You launch TV and then you set up a promo code and a thousand conversions got attributed through the promo code. But incrementality is showing you 10,000 conversions over the next two weeks. And then MMM, end of the quarter, tells you TV actually generated 30K. So you have 1,000 from the promo code, 10,000 incrementality, 30,000 MMM, which you believe. 
Yeah. Um, I, I think in, in that case, uh, probably somewhere in the middle of like the, the incrementality tool, it depends on the quality of the offer as well. The Delta between the, uh, low number of conversions through the, uh, gift code versus incrementality and in MMM is, is quite high. Um, and if the, you know, promo code was this unbelievable thing, you might expect more folks to, to go to that. Um, but if it was just kind of a normal, get 10% off something like that, you would expect there to be more of a lift from that advertisement after, uh, that for folks that, you know, maybe don't get the code, visit the site later, things like that. So more likely to believe incrementality. Um, but then with TV, I think TV has a, a really strong kind of like long-term lag. Um, so that's something that, yeah, more on the incrementality or the, the MMM um, route, because even with <clears throat> like uh, we work with a TV agency, the way that they attribute is they have their own lift model where they're looking at the difference in uh, visitors and installs when a spot shows, they're calculating that lift, and then they are um, applying some sort of conversion rate on that over time to kind of estimate CPAs. So it's actually kind of quite similar to what like an incremental but, would be doing. You know, I, I always actually ask this question because like, is TV like an impulsive medium? Like not impulsive medium, but like, would TV really drive an impulsive like decision? Like, oh, I saw this ad, I saw this promo. I'm going to do it immediately. Um, this I never got. Why like this like spot comparison? Ad spend spots? Because it's like too narrow. And sometimes yeah, they have um, mutual effects, right? I It might be the best way for, for them to measure it, at least I guess with visitor and click lift. But, but, but you're right. Um, you would expect even visitor volume to kind of change over time and not be so immediate. Like, that, yeah. and, don't, and don't get me wrong. I think promo codes is like a fantastic way to have some kind of a deter, some kind of a deterministic. At least you know that these thousand came definitely from the TV <clears throat> because they told us so. Okay, they had a promo code. And like just say TV, they use that. Yeah, I know. Okay, it's it's amazing. Um, but I don't know. I always, you know, of course, I always apply things to myself. I'm like. I don't know, when I go to shop something, yes, maybe I saw it in an ad and saw a promo code, but do I remember the promo code? And will I Google the promo code? A lot of people do, me not. And when I start thinking of measurement, I, obviously I put myself in the picture and trying to think how might I act and understand that I might not be predictable to the point where measurement wouldn't be as predictable for anything to be really deterministic. Right. Um and and I will say like I I think that the amount of users that converted in that case from the promo code is a fraction of the the total conversions and the truth is somewhere in between. What I have been paying more attention to when looking at deterministic data is a better uh, using that to get a sense of conversion rate and and customer quality and then appending that to the absolute meaning. Um, in this in this case, we know that these users who took that promo code came from TV, and we have deterministic, deterministic data. We can follow them throughout the funnel, and we can kind of see how they behave, and then we can extrapolate that out and say that's that's fantastic. This is how I think TV that's fantastic. Kind of behaves. Yeah, I think that's really fantastic. Um, I, by the way, like when 
going back to the like ideal measurement platform, ideal measurement platform would literally ask all users, hey, do you remember how you got here? Oh, wow, awesome. Right. Some apps do, by the way. Yeah, some apps do. And I think it's great. Yeah. For sure. And and some of those, like the, um, I actually have to, I want to talk to our CMO about this with our, how did you hear about a survey? Um, I was talking to somebody about, you know, instead of letting them select something, just make it an open-ended answer. And that way you will get a much more real response because the amount of people that just click on something real quick, maybe they're not thinking about it, but when you make it open-ended, um, you'd probably get some really fantastic responses. So yeah, harder to analyze. <laughs> harder to analyze. Yeah. But that's yeah. why, so I actually, I actually did you can this. Keep it with, two um, questions, one open and one <laughs> with multiple choices. I, I did this where um, I was using like lead ads and I had a question, open-ended question after they, you know, submitted their, their email. And then I downloaded that and literally put it into ChatGPT. And I was like, can you analyze this for me? And then it kind of spit out, this is the common themes and responses and things like that. So, um, yeah. I did it too, but sometimes <laughs> it lied, I can say. ChatGPT sometimes <laughs> lied. It, it it like invented stuff, like some stuff that are not even in the platform, not related to the things that customers said. So be careful. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm all I'm always very uh, aware to be very kind to chat GBT. I, I don't really say anything. <laughs> I'm also mean. kind. I'm always like, hello. I also, how, say, how I also say, please. Can you please? Yeah, please. Kindly. Yeah, okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, chat GPT, if you're listening now, I didn't try to imply that you're always lying, but yeah. <laughs> we just need to be cautious. Okay. So if we go even further, I think we talked about TV and sometimes it has kind of a long lasting effect. And this kind of relates to kind of product and brand brand awareness and kind of brand campaigns and kind of building your own um, IP even. Um, so basically, how do you think about kind of long-term impact of marketing? How do you measure building brand equity or how do you kind of factor that into your success metrics or like if you even do? Sure. Um, you know, it, it's something that I've become more interested in the more that self scales and the more we think about brand messaging and brand equity, um, there is no denying that human beings make decisions, uh, subconsciously based on little things like, like brand, right. Um, comparisons between, you know, Apple and Google, uh, and even something like, you know, Elon's impact on, uh, Twitter X, uh, did the product really change much? Let's just assume that it didn't at all. Let's just assume that he, he didn't change anything. People are still going to think differently about that product as a result of, of him, uh, joining. Um, it becomes a lot more relevant with larger companies. I think long-term impact, uh, is something that you shouldn't really be figuring it out. If you're like a seed stage startup, you don't really think about it as much. It just seems like something that larger brands invest more in. And also as you penetrate more of a market and more people become familiar with you when you are serving ads, you don't necessarily need to convert them with the same type of value props, direct response messaging. Maybe it becomes more about feeling and emotion. Um, and so that's, I guess, where you would incorporate more like brand lift studies, uh, things like this. But um, I'm curious, like, 
Mayor, when you talk to your largest enterprise brands that might be spending billions of dollars a year, uh, how do how do they think about this uh, phenomenon? It's a good question. So I think most of them, like the biggest ones, okay, we're talking like Fortune 100, um, they keep it simple. Uh, means there's a performance spend, there is a brand spend. They don't try to associate the two. There is like almost two PLs, and those have objectives, and those have objectives. And it's almost as if people just are obviously like in a CFO or CMO, they just understand there is an impact. Just gonna keep it simple. They're gonna do this, they're gonna do this. It's actually fine if they don't necessarily communicate and coordinate everything with one another. It's actually very interesting because um I would say growth companies um, or newer companies, they're going to definitely try to figure out how do we associate this. Like, again, we spent 20 million last year. How much effect does it have for next year? Do we need to spend 20 or do we need to spend 15? Because we still have impact from that 20. Um, I think the companies whose brand is so well known kind of stop thinking about that um, almost. It's quite interesting. Is that a good thing? This black Oof. and white kind of, you know, we just have separate P&Ls and because obviously there's, a, you know, sure. performance has brand implications. Brand has performance implications, too. Um, I think for the sake of simplicity, yes, yes, for sure. Um, but, you know, let's go for a crazy example. Um, Peloton, the bikes. OK, yep. they do a lot of ad advertising and then they had their crazy scandals with the, the Sex in the City movie. Um <laughs> wow um like for for anyone that doesn't know they were like a major sponsor within the movie and then mr big which is like a major character if, if you haven't seen the movie sorry i'm gonna ruin it for you dies while he's on it <laughs> and it was like a disaster uh, for the performance now that's essentially branding creating an extremely negative uh, incrementality effect over performance general um, I think that's a, obviously you would want the two to speak with one another. Um, but in that regard, like when I'm trying to think and like, how could you even measure the impact from this to this? Okay. And this one is a negative example. So it's not very common, but how could you like plan uh, for any impact between this and this? I think you can only assume or hope for a positive impact from branding to performance and just kind of like enjoy that within your performance PNL, but not necessarily plan for that. Sure. Makes sense. And I did that not know that. Um, you will have to oh, put that... the spoiler alert on this episode. Well, this campaign needs <laughs> oh, to go you to have the... To. Yeah, you have the, to. <laughs> this will be studied. By the way, there were more things that happened, but <laughs> we can cover that later. Um what other unannounced like um, changes to measurement tracking attribution do you think will come during the next couple of years? Yeah, I would say so. I'm, I'm you know, I'm not a product manager at, at, at any of these these places. I think I pay attention to the, the pulse. I, I would say at, at a high level, this this may be an easy answer and obvious one, but folks are moving more towards profitability versus scale. If you look at the state of the startup ecosystem right now and where we're at, um, less folks are, you know, it's it's harder to raise money. There's uh, 
more layoffs have happened. It's it's a tough time for for startups. And so I think um, in the measurement ecosystem, there's going to be more talk of optimizing towards profitability, optimizing for uh, towards incrementality, not wasting money. The same kind of you know things that I think incremental has uh, positioned itself to to grow based off of, um, and also just you know optimizing towards source of truth data wherever possible. Um, Google is going to deprecate uh, cookies by the end of the year. At least I think that's what they're saying now. Apple's already made its changes. So I think those are some some things to, to take into account. Um, one interesting one, which I would love your take on, is as we think about consumer behavior shifting from Google search to chat GPT and to other search engines. When these folks think about monetizing, I think that not only within the United States, but um, across the globe, there's going to be this uh, kind of battle of privacy data for search engine based data, um, because it's going to be really valuable to use that to make a lot of products better. And I wonder how kind of advertising measurement um, fits into all of that. So personally, I think that again, so I don't know if ChatGPT will introduce ads at some point um, or if ChatGPT, like the engine itself will be the search engine or if it's going to be like 50 other companies building on top. But um, I'm looking at a different trend, which is like a premium. Okay. So ChatGPT's current business model is you want to subscribe like 42 bucks a month, which is relatively expensive. But in Europe, you see it with Facebook now offering like ads free subscription. Um, and in general, I think that given the like scarcity of accessible user level data, more solutions will go ads free, which then makes my view is that the most important medium moving forward is going to be influencers. Mm. Okay, how to standardize influencers? That's a question I don't have an answer to. Um, yeah. Interestingly enough, the episode before you is going to be with Paul Bowen, who is chief revenue officer at Stream Elements, which that's basically what they do, like monetize influencers as a with the technology and not just repping. Sure, I, I mean, um, it's something that I'm thinking about investing a lot more in is something that's a lot harder to measure. When you think about the cost to advertise on these channels over time, even something like Facebook, we look at year over year CPMs and it's just crazy, right? That's also part of why folks have become more interested in tools like incremental. How can I find new channels to test into that are, are profitable? Um, but if what you're saying is true, then that will constrain the industry, constrain the total addressable uh, audience to serve ads to um, in a macro sense, which makes doing organic uh, buys and that type of thing much more valuable. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, again, I think that the landscape will be completely different 10 years from now um, than it is today. Um, like, I could draw a pie chart kind of like showing my opinion there, but I would see that like influencers um, will be a big chunk there. Of course, there's a lot of stuff that will also grow CTV, digital out of home, stuff like that. But um, I think that the like 
one-to-one -one programmatic, maybe AI-driven influencers, that's going to be a bigger thing that people want to necessarily believe in. Uh, the Sorry, say that last one again, because that was really interesting. The one-to-one -one programmatic so, AI influencers. So imagine that self could essentially create an influencer that... An avatar. Doesn't know, that, that builds an audience of fans that is one-to-one -one correlated with the audience you're looking for. Sure. So that's my, my view. Yeah, that is something to chew on. <laughs> yeah. Now we are at the end of our podcast. And since we're talking about marketing measurement um, and orchestrating measurement tools, uh, which instrument would you be playing if you were in an orchestra? I really wish that I knew how to uh, play any instrument. <laughs> um, I think it would be cool to... I'll, I'll play the banjo. I know it's really random, but I think it's just like fun, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's I could a just, cool choice. Yeah, I could if I could just bring a little banjo around and uh, yeah, I don't even know if there's a orchestra that has a banjo <laughs> in it. We'll have to try to search that. <laughs> but You'd probably uh, find yeah. something. <laughs> right. Yeah, like a, it's like a pretty a cool cowboy orchestra. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a cool one. It's something that you can uh, play in an orchestra and take uh, with you to the mountain while you climb. <laughs> I think so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound, good banjo I'm gonna sound silly. Like, I, I know I, when I think of a banjo, I think of a very like traditional like American thing. Is that something like in Israel that's like, like that exists? People are out playing the banjo? No, they're not. No, out I think banjo, banjo is very, very American. Uh, very but American. I, I actually, okay. I completely like it, especially with the um, new office character playing the banjo was fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Andy. Andy. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. I actually, I'm kind of a singing in kind of a folk uh, band. And we sometimes we have our guitarist. Uh, he also plays the banjo sometimes. And it gives us kind of a special vibe. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's not, it's not common. We are the weird ones, definitely. For sure. <laughs> so, Paul, thank you very much. Have a great rest of the day. Cool. We will uh, chat soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye.